Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we are moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education. I mean, pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. So a lot of people come to me with issues of despair when they realize the situation on this planet and wonder, sometimes they wonder how I could authentically be hopeful or optimistic. Uh, Maybe it's because I don't really understand how bad things are, they think. And that was the thought I was having at this gathering I was at in Portugal that I was telling you about, Defend the Sacred, it was called. And here there are people, not only uh, affluent white Western people, but there were people from Cameroon, from Palestine, from Colombia, from Guatemala, places where if you are an activist, it's not just that you get marginalized, it's that, you know, paramilitaries might come and like kill people in your family to send you a message, like really, really bad things. One of the women was from Colombia. She's this old lady, maybe four foot 10, you know, in her seventies, this, this beautiful matriarch who has seen terrible things happen in their village there. Any, any resistance against the mining companies and the extraction companies gets, attracts the attention of the paramilitaries. And, and so she's seen terrible things, yet she's filled with joy and love. You cannot say, well, it's just that she doesn't understand how, how bad human beings can be and, and what's happening in the world. Maybe she doesn't have a systemic understanding, but she sees, she has plenty of reason for despair. Yeah, her image really, and her, her bearing and her, just her vibration, I guess you could say, imprinted itself onto me. And so when people ask me about despair and how can you have hope and what is the nature of hope and is there a distinction between true hope and false hope, et cetera, et cetera. Like I can give intellectual answers to these questions. And I, now I'm feeling through this woman plugged in to the source from which these intellectual answers come from. And I'm wondering how you would answer that question. Like first, this woman full, full of joy, what does she know that most people around me in this culture do not know? And what is the source of authentic hope that protects us from falling into the, the paralyzing pit of despair? Uh, so, so I think this, this, this woman symbolizes the one quality of this earth principle, which is generativity 
person must be able to generate what the earth generates, which is energy to cultivate a new cycle of reality, a new cycle of creativity. So the earth is a generative principle in, in nature, but it's also in us. The earth in us is the, is the, is the intention to host, to hold, to prepare, to gestate or to germinate. These are our qualities that from the elemental level of, of nature comes into the elemental substance of the human being. In our bodies, our physical body has that principle working in it. And so it's not, if people heal, then they're hopeful because healing is part of the re resolving force within human life and within any life process. It does not um, give up on itself. It can be separated from the self where it depends upon its life forces which is why many people feel hopeless when they're cut off from what the earth essentially is or from the principles of the earth in their community life. But people who are grounded in earth, in the essential nature of this earth, have a tendency to feel hopeful in a way that is consistent with what the earth is itself trying to do for humanity, provide abundance and home mm -hmm. and uh, one can call it indigenous wisdom but essentially it is a deep sense of belonging when people feel that deeper belonging they actually act from that and the most profound aspect of belonging is within the earth idea itself so some people live on the earth and some people live in it meaning when we live in it or, or in relationship to this deeper terrestrial power, we feel that magnetism attracting some future to it. Mm -hmm. So it, it is not a, a false idea. It's actually a living principle within the magnetic field. And what people call the law of attraction is that people hold that principle so that it could bring and aggregate around it all of the elementals that could manifest that reality they're hoping for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, one thing that I've been working with a lot uh, on my own and also with, with others is the idea that the way that we see a person and the story that we hold about that person is an invitation for them to play the role that the story, def that the story defines and to be the person that we see them as, which isn't a manipulative tactic because it's not like you can pretend to see something or hold a false story about them and use that to, to make them do what you want, but it has to come from a true scene. So seeing somebody, for example, as a self-interested uh, maximizer of their own profit is an invitation to them 
to step into that. Whereas seeing somebody as a lover of the earth and a carrier of important gifts yearning to fulfill their purpose is an invitation for them to be that. And so then I've been applying that more, not only to human beings, but to the planet as well. And noticing how a story of it's hopeless is an invitation to the planet to fulfill the expectation of that story and how that the story of it's hopeless also invites me, invites me into a role that is aligned with the hopelessness. So I think that this, this woman and, and many, many indigenous people are maybe in, and this is actually sort of paraphrasing what, you're, what you were saying, are in more of a living contact with, for example, just seeing every day the Earth's ability to regenerate, you know, seeing the tenacity of life, seeing the fecundity of life, seeing the, the irrepressibility of life. It's a lot harder to be pessimistic when that's part of your lived experience. And so those, um, that kind of participation in the intimate processes of life allows the true seeing that informs a story of miracles can happen, uh, healing is possible, and, and so forth. And the, the real principle of the life realm, the life realm is not in the physical realm. That's the mineral realm. The physical part of things that we see constitutes minerality. The life essence is actually more a kind of invisible current that is endless and infinite and in a certain way lives within or, or functions within the realm of spontaneity and a kind of epigenetic power. So it could actually come back to beginning all the time. It has beginning elements in it. It has transition elements in it. It has ending elements in it. So in the life process, all of those principles are working at the same time. Mm -hmm. A living being with the power of intention like the human being could always choose beginning. We don't have to choose endings as you know, the, the, some of the elements in nature functions, like the, the tree. You know, in, in, in the fall season, it gives up its leaves so that it could prepare for another cycle. These are all within the elemental flow of the life processes um, so that the mineral level responds to that. But the human being continues to hold the epigenetic power of beginning. So there are certain levels of the human life that is constantly in touch with this fundamental principle of creation which is always free of some level of extinction. And this hopeful part, if we could really truly bring it into our, our culture, we will create a, a very different in, interaction with this planet. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our conception is that things have to die. That is just not so. 
the epigenetic world have a different conception. Things transition into its new forms or its new levels of capacity. Mm -hmm. We're not reaching new capacities. We're reaching endpoints because we are, we are in a certain way not fulfilling the highest aims of our own life process. Right, which is paradoxically enough related to the denial of death and the attempt to maintain life in stasis right. rather than, rather than uh, serving the fulfillment of a life process. Exactly. Yeah. So let me uh, maybe switch gears. There was, there was a, a question that I came with. It's been pretty obvious to everybody who's noticing that, that society has become very highly polarized in the last few decades and especially the last few years to the point where it seems that it's almost resolved into separate realities that are enforced by technologies of narrative control. That it's come out, for example, with the whole fake news thing and, and now uh, Google, Facebook, YouTube uh, protecting, <laughs> protecting their audience from bad facts, which could be, you know, it could range from what they call climate change denial to like, you know, even like really noxious things like Holocaust denial. Uh, but it's also spreading to things like um, critics of vaccination, uh, that information that questions the safety and efficacy of vaccines is now getting demoted in search results and I read that on YouTube, it will now be accompanied by links to pro-vaccine articles. If you look at a YouTube video that's considered anti-vaccine, what were some other examples? But, but even just generally, politically, like different sides operate in com completely different universes of what they consider to be fact. And sometimes I get the feeling that reality itself is bifurcating. And, and okay, so that's one thing. And then it's also, related a little bit to the despair uh, thread because when people look at the uh, total control of information, it looks very Orwellian. And, and it looks like the, especially the internet, which was supposed to set us free. And I remember in the 90s, you know, no government can control it. Information will be henceforth free. And now it's become a way to control information more than ever before. So, yeah, I wonder if you have anything to say about the bifurcation of reality and the control of information and, and most importantly, the control of narrative. I, I think in a certain way, the, 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 the human being has always lived in separate realities. But we had rituals that brought us into a shared reality. We had the, the level of a developed perception that allowed us to exercise the cognitive steps. After we perceive something, we're not sure what it is, we then go through a kind of investigation, analysis of it, then it became knowledge. Knowledge was not just a given, it had steps before it, which was people were allowed to truly perceive something with their natural senses. Now, when our senses are dull and we no longer could even discern how information comes into consciousness because it's now given, 
without any awareness that I am perceiving it, then everything appears as facts before it was even perceived. So when our perceptions are dull, nothing is a fact until I truly investigate it. It's not just a fact because it's given. It's just a level of perception. But when, when perception moves directly to opinion, without any investigation, then all of our knowledge becomes so factual that we are separated by that from each other. And we don't have the, the potential for discourse to say, okay, I had this experience. Did anyone have the same? Or what was your, what was your perception of it? So rather than asking people for their experience, we ask for the facts. Facts are not universal. Without the human element taking it up into consciousness. Consciousness is universal, not the facts. The facts are in a certain way held by a time element. And if some people miss just a fraction of what actually happened, they have a different quality of the fact. So those, so those who are sharing what we call the facts have to be at least truthful enough for everyone to get the facts. If they're not truthful, then we all have some semblance of a lie and then we have to correct it by our own cognition. And this is what's happening. It's not that the facts are, are distorted. It's that when it's being communicated, it gets distributed in a field in which the perception in the rest of us in the world are so different and so underdeveloped in some ways that we don't take it up in the right way. And so we have an argument over the facts rather than an argument over whether we are conscious enough to work with the facts. I think part of this then is the result of the stripping of subjectivity from the world in the sense that that uh, facts and truth become this this disembodied thing that exists independently of a relationship between a subject and the object and to recover because and, and right so then if like you're you're making it into this disembodied corpus of information then Taking that for granted, you will debate somebody else who takes for granted a different corpus of information and you seem like insane to each other simply because you're building, you're reasoning from different starting principles. And, and I think maybe people need to understand that all facts are produced initially through a subjective experience. So then in, in a debate or in a conversation then, the appropriate question isn't what's true or what's real. The appropriate conversation is what experience brought you to that information? And I'm wondering here if there are um, healing principles here, because I know that you work with um, gangs, you know, in Los Angeles and stuff. And here, like on a very down to earth level, one person might have a certain story about here's what the facts were and this person did this and they deserve that and someone else might have a different 
set of facts. And these differences will bring them to kill each other. So what is the healing principle that you work with to defuse this, this um, battle between separate objective realities? And so, so the, in, 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 in awareness, so when, when something happens and it comes into awareness or a fact is presented and it comes into awareness, a process starts. The human being begins to ask questions about what happened, the what. As soon as we begin to contemplate what happened, a story begins to evolve. And so the person begins to discover that from the time that something happened to the time in which they're telling it, something has changed. Their consciousness has changed. And so what I try to do is to say, okay, what happened since then? What, who, who, have, who have you become? I become an aware being. Well, let's talk to, about the awareness. What do you want to do with it? Now that you're aware that something happened, that is the reason why things happen, so that we become aware. Something can't happen if I didn't notice it or perceived it. Mm -hmm. Even if it was told to me, that was the happening. I, will, I heard through something that something right. happened. So this awareness is the reality that we begin now to craft. It moves from just what happened to what changed since it happened in my awareness that now I can just say, well, who else is aware of it? And am I interested to hear their awareness of it, not what happened because that has changed. Our awareness of what happened has changed everything. And so what we now work on is what do people do with what they become aware of? This is the power and the essential crafting of the reality that can lead to agreement because ultimately people empower their awareness with their will. I want to do something with what I become aware of. Mm -hmm. And so this is the incarnation of the human being. We, we actually bring in some future because of what I'm aware of, some intention. Mm -hmm. So this objective point of view become now totally subjective in awareness. And then it becomes objective again as awareness in action called subjective objective subjectivity now i begin to choose who i will become based on my awareness because this is the this is the the, the either it leads to violence or it leads to peace in the exercise of how i use my awareness and how i feel as i contemplate my own intrinsic self-worth do I feel powerless by what I become aware of? Do I feel hopeless by what I become aware of? You know, do I, do, does what my awareness point of future does look meaningless because of what happened? Mm -hmm. So this is the, the dialectical past to future observation. 
are we constantly assessing the self-worth in that? Can I do anything because of what happened? And most people feel powerless by the forces that they encounter in their perception because the creativity to make a self-conscious effort to do something comes up against the forces that we encounter in the world when we take it up as an event. And so part of our, our education and our initiation is whether or not the person is given enough knowledge to transform what, has, what is happening in the world into a consciousness that can do something about what's happening in the world, rather than falling into the, the doubt that the event is bigger than consciousness. Okay. And, and so most people fall into the hopelessness and helplessness of the events that we encounter. But the healing is about cognizing elements of the self, which is consistent with ancient alchemy of, of transmutation, of the experience that one is having and bringing it into something new. Okay, this is really deep, and I encourage anyone listening to this to hit rewind and listen to what Orland said another 10 or 15 times. Um, but let me try to interpret it a little bit. Um, that phrase that really stuck in my mind was falling into the doubt that the event is bigger than consciousness. So that means to understand that that there's always a choice about what to do with, so the information comes in, we have an experience of it, we have a perception of an event, and that, I mean, I usually say that, that whether or not we choose to change, um, simply by taking something into awareness, a change has already happened to us because the totality of our being includes now a new thing. But you're saying that there's a further choice, that, is, that, there's, that that happens maybe, but there's also a choice. So the conversation to have is what awareness was born in me through this, through this experience, through this fact, or this, this, through this perception coming in. What is the awareness born in me and then when that becomes conscious, then and only then is an actual choice of, of how to act from there, what to follow, what to serve available. Right. So it's, it's, it's a transition away from um, being a victim of an objective world subject to forces beyond your control to understanding it's not that you can necessarily control external forces but it's that the ultimate result of these happenings is um i guess it's the word transduced or something through consciousness and that the 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 future then 
um, carries the imprint of the consciousness that chose from awareness what to do with the fact that is that has caused the change that comes that that in in the in the person. So, so am I close here? Yeah. So yes. So when 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 an event happens in consciousness, consciousness expands to include the event and include the change that the events will propagate. Now we must be responsible for the change. We couldn't control the event, but we can control the expansion from the point of change. To deal with trauma, we have to go back to the event and understand the change that has happened. And then from the point of change, the consciousness of our neurology begins to ask, what pathway do we want to take? This is neuroplasticity. The, 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 the nerve sense body in the human being is about radical creativity. And it has to be given images strong enough to overcome the trauma. It has to be given motives strong enough to overcome the trauma. Without some energy, the information would be stuck in the trauma. The human being does not just live on information, we live on energy. So when our mental energy model of the world is such that we expect things not to change, we will be traumatized by even the simplest of everyday occurrences. Mm -hmm. and, and such that we live within the paradigm of finding more and more security, more and more comfort, more and more, you know, fixed right. states of being and, and, and contracts that nothing should change. Mm -hmm. But this is not the reality. It, people understood that life is a process of change with events that actually in some ways radically alter our patterns of cognition and it could bring us into, into you know, a tremendous crisis. But in that crisis are all the elements that constitutes expansion of awareness and development because that is the nature of our cellular mechanisms within our nerve body. After immediate pain and shock, there is a questioning, which we can call contemplation. Hmm. What happens next with the creativity that is released from that? Okay. Right. Um, it, it's, it, the impact space in consciousness is actually an epigenetic space. It, it doesn't just take in a trauma and hold it. it. It asks us, what do we want to do? And most people say it's either fight, flight, or freeze. And that is not all the entire aspects of it. There's, there's more to the human being than those three qualities. Right. So and that makes sense. And I've actually experienced that before. Um, when uh, a trauma disrupts static 
patterns and a way of holding life, then it can be very shocking and painful, as you said. Yet there's also at the same time a certain relief almost or a sense of, of new possibilities and a sense of freedom. Because now that things are not stuck in a fixed pattern, I have the opportunity to, to choose something different that theoretically maybe I could have chosen it before, but I was locked in. And now I'm seeing, and now like these things that were locking me in and that were comfortable and familiar and, and comforting, they're gone now. So I, and I might try to, I mean, one choice would be to try to reassemble those and, and reestablish an old normality. And another choice could be to ask what is the next thing that, that wants to happen or that I'm ready for. So, so yeah. Um, and I wonder, do you think this is also true um, beyond an individual level, but could you say the same thing for a society or a civilization? Well, that, that's what, so the reason why we say there's a society because we've actually learned how to share our inner experiences or we just will be a group of individuals. Hmm. But a society is supposed to be a, a process in which the collective consciousness utilizes other people's experience to shape a, a worldview in which I don't have to have the same experience that you have, but I have to have an understanding of it and even an appreciation of it so that the story in my consciousness is bigger than my own. And this is what we will call the collective consciousness field. Ah. If I can share that, then I'm going to be using my personal superconscious, meaning that I will stay at a state of tremendous, not just belief, but hopefulness that in some part of my collective consciousness field with someone else, uh, I have the resource I need to expand my own consciousness. Right. And so this is why... Um society is breaking down because the 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 these cohering um relationships where i can understand what your experience is that you say create a society these are breaking down and people are no longer trying to understand what someone's experience is instead they're relegating them to some dehumanized category of of misogynist or white supremacist or i mean both sides of the political spectrum do this um, instead of asking, which here's what I think is the, the key question right now for the transition of our civilization. The key question is, what is it like to be you? Which is really, it's, it's the essence of empathy. And it's also the question, according to what you're saying, that needs to be asked for there even to be a society. What, it's not what happened, but it, but it's but it's what was it like for that to happen to you and then we have an intersubjective um relationship where you where, where i'm not cut off from your subjectivity and relegating you to an object status but we're we're and and, and so this is what's been breaking down in the course of my lifetime and maybe, I don't know, like maybe it was worse back in the days of, you know, um, 
uh, apartheid and racism and, and where people were uh, explicitly dehumanizing um, other ethnicities and genders and so forth. But somehow it seems that it hasn't gotten any better. It's just shifted to different kinds of othering. And, and I just have the sense of society uh, splintering into these shards. And it, it, that concerns me more than, more than anything. Like, if, if that doesn't change, then nothing will change. Yeah. One of the one of the one of the countercultural forces that we've seen um, emerging and growing, as you just described, is that the world has become meaningless to people. The world processes, meaning that the part where where human culture is supposed to cultivate a societal good, people don't expect that anymore. They don't expect goodness from what society does. Hmm they expect that some level of exploitation of people or place will happen because that is the trend in the societal forces that we have seen but this is this is this is the arc of 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 every civilization every civilization has a climatic space and a decline phase in which when they exhaust the paradigm of their collective consciousness Mm -hmm. We see the same patterns. When people begin to utilize their creation rather than the creativity of their own life, every society goes into decline. The reason why in, in places that, that sustain wisdom culture, they tell creation stories, is because we have to stay true to some inherent principles of what creation is. When the world moves com completely to innovation, particularly scientific innovation or technical innovation, and we stop dealing with the creative principles, we then in a certain way moving into all the countercultural forces and the decline begins to happen because we stop relying on the collective consciousness and we see people only as, you know, um, customers of what we have to sell and consumers of what we want them to, 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 to have. But not, we don't include them in the creation story of our civilization. And this is part of the problem. When we move to a scientific theory of the world, and not saying that is wrong, but when it becomes objectified as the thing that will fix our futures, and we forget that creation requires imagination. It requires inspiration. It requires intuitive in experiences of one's own place in it. And when you marginalize so many people from the creation story of the world, yes, you will have a decline of civilization. Because the only thing left is to oppress their will to make sure they buy what you're selling. Right. And, and because, because there's not new creativity, there's, there's not like new creation, the only thing you can do is to try to extract something from what's already been created. And right. so there's competition for a, a smaller and smaller amount of 
cultural yeah. inheritance and no and I, I see it also as a matter of the disintegration of our of our collective aim and our collective story that said that told us here's what we are creating together so it provided motivation to to do for each person to do their own part in the collective project right it's like you know if, it's like if you have a construction crew and and the the story is we're going to build a house here then everybody does things that they wouldn't do if there were not such a story like no one would drive a cement truck around if there wasn't a house being built and no one would cut the lumber and so forth but if there's a, a story that that organizes people and and delineates their roles and people do those things and i think on a deep level our civilization has lost its its actually i'll be careful with my words it's not that we've lost the cohering story that gave life meaning and that directed creativity it's that that story has become it's reached its fulfillment and is no longer the right story i mean it's it's and we're, we're as a society we're kind of holding on to it the story of growth of dominating nature um onward and upward what's the next wonderful invention that whole that whole like that was exciting and it gave life meaning and in the decline and senescence of that story there is a crisis of meaning and therefore um social disintegration because there's nothing to organize around anymore there's nothing to 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 yeah so yeah so this decline um which you have said every civilization has this phase um i'm wondering what you have to say about what are we called to do in a period of decline like for one thing where does it end like what is the terminus of this phase and what is like in a phase of of ascendancy it it's it's we are called to participate in it i'm thinking of of taoist um teachings that i read many years ago that that this described the the conduct of the sage in different social circumstances and there are some when justice rules the land you know and the and the emperor is is fair and just then the sage might participate in government and when there's injustice then he might try to change things and then there are certain phases in which the sage retreats from the world of people and becomes a hermit and or found secret mystery schools and things like that that are kind of waiting their time for to be useful again so you know i could say more i want to invoke mr rogers in a minute but but maybe i'll i'll just first put that question out there where does this decline go to and what are we called to do in this phase right so so this phase this phase of our civilization has to follow the course of the earth itself where the earth is going next in its mm -hmm. in its evolution so one can say the earth is in a community of planets it's in a constellation of star wisdom it's moving through constellations 
and stays in every constellation in the cosmos for about 2,600 years. We're in a phase in which it's moving from the constellation of Pisces to Aquarius. And even if people don't want to uh, agree with what that means, the energy is true. The energy meaning that the, the light forces that is now shaping the Earth's ecology will naturally penetrate into our sociology and our sociology builds our civilization, meaning how we relate to each other based on the internal dreams that we get from the mechanisms of consciousness in our bodies, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual bodies. What, it does, what that constitution does, it reframes the objectives of what will be the civilization on earth. We do not get our civilization from a certain way, man-made conception. We get it from light. Mm. We, may, we may obscure the light with self-interest. We may obscure it with, with denials. We may obscure it with, with counter-cultural forces. But there is always the fact that this earth has a cycle of night and day. Light gives us the kind of awakening forces and the, the night forces give us dreams. Mm -hmm. This is human nature. We cannot kill the nature of nature. However, we could obstruct it with our own will by, by denying it, but eventually it will break through in some radical way. This is, this is what's happening now, a, a radical breaking through into an age because we've denied what this earth has been for several centuries. We've denied human potential for several centuries, enslaved human potential for several centuries. We've, we've terminated groups of people for centuries. The, the cosmology of our age will not allow that to continue to happen. It is not a man-made world. We live within a construct of higher laws and principles that govern what nature must become, mm -hmm. the great nature and our own nature. And so I think there's going to be a kind of event in consciousness that comes from a deeper level that we cannot say no to. We can say no to the mind, but not to the soul. Mm -hmm. And so we say there's a level now in which the earth is, has put us in touch with a reality. And if we don't want to do that reality, we better leave the earth itself. <laughs> you know, people think they could do that, but there are even greater initiations on other planets if they want to go there. The safest, best way to, to evolve consciousness is stay on earth and do the work that earth requires, which is also to create a coherence of what we call love, not in this emotional sense, but the responsibility to receive light and do good with cultivating the inner faculties where this kind of denial and doubt about the human nature has to stop. We have to stop doubting that human beings have a, have a planetary and a celestial work to do. 
other than just consume things. Mm-hmm. We, we are co-creators in other levels, but we don't remember that. We, we fall into the forgetfulness in a deep way. And I think this age of removing the veil will happen. We will actually see the archetypal world more clearly as Carl Jung had predicted, as Einstein had predicted. The forces that are behind the material world will reveal themselves. And what will we do then when we cannot imprison their reality? Yes. You know, I I often remind people that the question, what are we going to do about it, may not be the right question. That it produces a solution set that is part of the problem that, that taps into the assumptions that are part of the fabric of the world as we know it. And that, as you were saying, um, the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, even if it seems that it is a human creation, it's more of a channeling through human beings of larger forces that then take a form and it looks like we created them. but. Um, you know, earlier cultures, some of which still exist, actually, they understood that we're not the creators of our stories, of our songs, of our myths, that they are coming to us and through us. So, <clears throat> yeah, I really, really appreciate what you're saying. To, to, um, Gosh, I wish I could paraphrase it. To serve what Earth wants to become. I mean, it's almost like you're saying this is, this is happening. It's happening to us. Um, and, and like here we are, trying to almost like trying to stop it from happening using the the habits of doubt the the old story about what a human is to block the flowering into consciousness of of the of the information that is coming in that you know carried by light as you're saying this new information that's coming in and changing us and to and as and relating it to what you were saying earlier about um, bringing awareness to information, part of the holding on to the old static existing world mm-hmm. is to banish the new information from awareness, which we are doing many of us as individuals, like having experiences that that um, invite us into uh, a more expanded love state and you know kind of relegating those to the to the margins of life uh to the container of well that was unexplainable or that was a spiritual experience or something like that and also as a society banning those experiences from the uh discourse that constitutes reality like the, the like these you know these are not in the news like as far as like the 
the mechanisms of consensus reality, these are, have no place in those. So these are two different ways that, you know, individually and collectively we're, we're banishing or attempting to stop the new information. I mean, it's, it's coming in, but to, to banish it from awareness. So, yeah, that's my little, uh, my attempt at a small synopsis of maybe about a quarter of what you were saying. You know, you know I, I put forward, I put forward a, a, a question some time ago um, using our scientific theory of the Big Bang mm -hmm. as how things were created. And I said, have you ever considered that the Big Bang theory is not a past event, but a future one? Like what if the Big Bang in our conception is something that is coming towards mm -hmm. us? Mm -hmm. And what if the same factor that caused this radical expansion of consciousness is actually a prophetic insight that human beings have been contemplating? And because it's a time event, we put it into the past. Mm -hmm. We're used to that. What if that it's a future event and the same light force of the cosmos will hit us with tremendous impact? What do you think would happen to our world then? The thing about the consciousness, it will still be there. But our, our framework will have to be radically changed because it did in our conception. It radically created the life forces that we call, you know, define as our world. So this is the this is the thing about the creation story. Which aspect of time in the timeline of consciousness is it really? Because we never really know. Many people are telling stories that are yet to happen, but they don't believe it well enough. To, to actually understand the significance of what if the Big Bang is a future event and not something from the past. Science hasn't given that the consideration. But is it plausible? Absolutely. Because these, these events of light forces are happening all the time in the cosmos. And why can't another cycle of that reach us? and imbue us with a new conception of what it means to be awake. I feel like, uh, you know, the material that you're articulating here is, it takes me a lot of mental concentration to even understand it. Um, and there's part of me that's like, okay, Orlin, just tell me what to do. What, what would you do with that question? So we have, we, 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 we have, this is, this is the, the, I said the, the plane in which every human being can reach now, who is, who, all of us who are concerned about the next stage of this planetary evolution. And this is, this has come before us in, 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 in many traditions, including what we call the mindfulness traditions of our world. The mind field, what we call our mind, we are, we are, oriented towards the materialistic reality. And the mind cannot do that always and be healthy. The mind must contemplate the eth ethereal world, 
it must have the possibility to dream beyond the limits and boundaries of the given. Mm. Because what's not given in everything that we have now in, in existence is this being that asks, what if? That being stands, because we can say what if, we're not rooted in all that's given. Or we would not have a conception of what if. Mm-hmm. What if it's not for people who have just can inherit something and that is the law? What if it's from people who can transcend what's given and question it? And we should question reality on every level because that is our work. But we must also not just question it as to what should we do or what should we have or what should... It's to ask who is communicating this future that I contemplate. Beyond, beyond the mind, is there other states of consciousness that I could contemplate and reach and experience even more certainty about my creative will? Because if I only wake up when my reality is finished and then I live into that, I do not know the part of me that is the creator. Mm-hmm. I do not know the part of me and the collective us that are in these other states of being that then brings in to manifestation the world that we now inherit. And so the what if part of me must keep asking, just even if to entertain it as a, as a kind of exercise, because ultimately every exercise becomes some capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we owe it to ourselves to exercise expanding the dream, expanding the imagination, expanding consciousness beyond this current limit. Mm-hmm. As an exercise, just take it as an exercise. Don't worry about the outcome. Nothing can be done unless you develop a new faculty of consciousness or a new organ of perception. So don't worry that something will happen that you can't control. Just exercise, inspiring oneself to encounter what energy could do. We may not have the information yet, and it does not matter without with the information. Energy can exercise itself because it's both objective and subjective at the same time. Yeah. And so, like, the what if, uh, that what if energy then bumps up against the that'll never happen energy. And the energy that's called realism, which... You know, what's realistic, uh, at least from the, what's realistic, at least from the current consensus reality is that nothing will ever change. So I was, you know, recently I was hanging out with um, some Palestinians and, um, and an Israeli also. And I said, You know, and just like things getting worse and worse and worse in that part of the world. And I described this vision I had of, of an Israel-Palestine whole Middle East, you know, where, where everybody is like, 
has entered into not just mutual tolerance, but real love and um, saying to each other, wow, what a journey we were through. All that hatred, all that suffering, we all went through that together, and now we're, now we're done with it. And, and we're, we're all brothers and sisters now. And, and like, what, what was that nightmare that, that we were in? And thank goodness we've woken up from that. Like that, um, and I saw it at that moment as a reality, as a, as a real possibility and not as a fantasy. It didn't feel like a fantasy. I saw something in that moment where I saw that it was actually true that this is the future. Uh, and at the same time, I understand that there are other futures that when I'm in another state seem to be the truth, but there's this future too, this, um, and I think this might be similar to what you're talking about with the what if. And then for me, it becomes a matter of investigating my inner state that brings me into connection with that particular future, that particular true future, and, and what interstate brings me into connection with um, a more horrible future. And then a, a choice does arise. Who am I, who am I really? out of all this menu of different states of being, each one of which aligns with a different world and a different future, asking myself, which one of these am I really? Or which am I becoming? Or which do I want to become? So there is then, I, I, I experience a moment of choice sometimes. Sometimes, usually I do not experience a choice. Usually I'm just kind of catapulted from one state of co-resonance with a certain world to another, to another, to another. But sometimes I do have an experience of, of choosing who I will be. And I wonder two things then. One is what is different when I'm able to choose who I'm going to be, when I feel able to choose, when I have that awareness. What's, 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 what distinguishes that from all the other times from just kind of catapulted from one state to another to another? And then related to that is how can I create conditions for others to have awareness of choice and the um, will and inspiration to choose the most beautiful version of themselves that is ready to become? We, we, the the, the answer points to a mystery that we carry in our blood. We, we think that our blood is just, you know, uh, this cellular mechanism going through the body, carrying food and nutrition and, and, and oxygen and such. But it carries a mystery, a harmonic, a harmonic vibrancy, actually, to be able to create a correspondence with events in the past and in the future. Mm -hmm. Our blood has the intelligence to synthesize information on these other subtler levels in the collective consciousness of the world. It's actually in touch with every intelligence 
that is expressing some form of communication. Now, I would say that's a more subtle body, but I won't go into the details of that now. But I would just say that a human being is unaware, is aware of things on an unconscious level and a superconscious level. But that, the mechanisms for that is actually within the circuitry of this elemental life substance we call our blood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just carry our genetic material from our biological ancestry. It carries the archetypal process of the human being as a progenitor of a form of intelligence that could communicate beyond the levels that we are now doing. And so in the field that I think we are uh, generating in, in the heart consciousness as this blood passes through the heart is actually a, a power of choice that is overriding the paradigm that, the, that this substance is about or our reality is about our, our mind thinking. And our preferences in that in that level, the, the the heart consciousness that is emerging now for humanity as a faculty of discerning what is true and real for us will change that paradigm. Mm-hmm. So the evolutionary process is that it's it's in the mystery of our life is in a mechanisms that we no longer can stop because if we stop it we don't have life anymore. So you're, you're, you're really saying that, that this moment of choice is not actually a mental function. Right. And our typical way of asking, how do I do it, is basically saying, please make it a mental function for me. Right. Tell me what I have to think, what I have to do to you know, choose to be in alignment with this peaceful, beautiful future. Right. And that means that to... to create conditions where people do have this awareness of choice and the capacity uh, or motivation to, to choose most beautifully, we need to, I mean, it's, a, it's basically about, it sounds like a cliche almost, but I mean, it's basically just to walk around um, in a love vibration, like, it's just love, right? It, it, and it, the first phase of it will be terrestrial, meaning the earth will shift its electromagnetic pulse because it comes from an inner core, an inner aspects of the inner life of the earth. When that radiates up, everyone will get a new depth of perception. Mm-hmm. Whether we want it or not. Uh-huh. <laughs> it will change because we are not choosing our electromagnetic body. It's, it's, or we call our aura. It is part of the mechanism of consciousness that remains above and beyond the mind. Mm-hmm. This element creates distance from our proximity to what we will call futures. The, the collective field in which the creative laws and principles that passes through consciousness into thinking and feeling and will 
ultimately will be reorganized according to the principles. And this is what Einstein called the theory of relativity. We cannot break this, this lawfulness just by the mind. It's not, right. it's not going to happen that way. So, okay, so I can kind of answer my own question then, um, which is basically, instead of saying, here's what to do, um, here's what, what you need to do, understanding that this, that this um, transition is emanating from the core of the earth, emanating from different frequencies of celestial input, different light, um, I might then just invite people to bring attention to this happening already right. this and say haven't you noticed that your heart perceptions are changing haven't you noticed that you have um <laughs> a more refined capacity to love haven't you noticed that something in your heart is changing? That your blood is different. Right. And to point, simply to point uh, attention to it right. is a step in the integration of the new information coming from earth and sky. Yeah. And One way to point attention to it, it, I mean, I just, you know, try to do it with words, but even by bringing our own attention to it happening in ourselves, we become almost like a tuning fork that even if we don't explicitly say, haven't you felt this? Are you feeling this? Uh, just our bearing, our the timber of our voice, the, the little interactions we have with people, like everything about us is going to be is going to call forth the attention in others because who we are being is from that, from that place, from that place of attention to the heart metamorphosis that's happening from that place of attention. We do not fit into the normal expectations and perceptions of the people around us. We become like a, an, an anomaly. Um, an exceptional data point that immediately then redirects the attention because the familiar surroundings have been disrupted a little bit and the habits of attention then become inoperative, inoperative. And then there's the opportunity for attention to go where it has, does not normally go. Yes, the, the the beauty about the mechanisms of the mind uh, it 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 has the the in the consciousness field the capacity to remember and the capacity to forget. When we understand what this process really is about, the next phase of it is a kind of improvisation, meaning that it doesn't matter if we forget something; we'll constantly be doing the right thing. It doesn't even if we try to remember to do something, we constantly be remembering to do the right thing. The, the process of creative improvisation, just like people do now in music, 
you listen to something that is already being heard at a deeper, deeper level of perception and cognition. And you mm -hmm. exercise the playing of that. Even if it's an ensemble, they can improvise and play a tune together. Right. This is the future state of this mind. We're constantly trying to recover what we have forgotten. This is how our education processes work. But the initiation that is coming in will transform the, the forgetting, remembering process into a continuity of creativity at a level in which what we do is just for ourselves and the world. We can't even imagine a reality like that because we don't think we could be that free. But nature has shown that to be. Nature has created an ecology in which what it gives something else benefits from. And there is a continuity in the ecology. We are now going to move to an ecology of consciousness in which the processes that are inherent and lawful in the body, that the blood doesn't just keep some things for itself, mm -hmm. it distributes everything equally so that the body has integrity. When that integrity moves to the feeling life through the heart forces and it moves through the cognitive life through this higher use of our neurological consciousness, we will have a different kind of civilization, different kind of society, and we'll enter into an age where information is not going to be withheld or corrupted. It will flow just as life does into its right use. And then in that level, the higher principles of laws, which will allow us to replenish the earth, will come with it. We're still doing this because we've forgotten the essential value of what life needs. But we wouldn't forget that in the future. Higher levels of laws will come that will allow us to replenish the earth. That's what you said. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'll do one final thing. For this, for this particular session. One final question for you. Um, something that's coming up in me, really actually not so much authentically in me, but um, I'm tuning in to people who are, um, and have been here before, which is, which is basically a, a very cynical, um, but very earnest voice that says, Orland, surely you can't be suggesting that we wait around for this new information to come in. Don't you know that there's a great dying going on? We have to act now. There are massive sea, like marine animal die-offs, forest fires, um, uh, the insect holocaust, uh, you know, flying insect biomass has decreased 80% over the last 30 years. The earth is dying. And and it's getting worse. The dying is accelerating, and and we and just to say that to that we're going to wait around for the transformation in our hearts to happen so that we can align with the replenishing forces of nature, like that, just seems a recipe for a kind of passivity that we cannot afford. How would you deal with that particular line of question? I appreciate it very deeply, and it's it's the reason why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because of the dying and because the death that has happened over the last seven centuries, 
we're in that reality that I spoke about. It's not that we're waiting. It's that we have to prepare for it because it is coming. The death has happened before now. We've made radical mistakes with consciousness over the last 700 years. And, and the, 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 the wisdom traditions that have mapped that time frame have shown that the prophetic impulse have now incarnated in the planet in a radical way in which the nature forces are already restructuring a pattern. We may call it global warming, we may call it different things, but in the mechanism of the science, the spiritual science of it points to something very, very different in terms of what consciousness will have to remember from this future sin. And so the, the, this, uh, things do not just die. As again, information and energy is released from that. Mm -hmm. we, we belong to an ecology of this planet. The planet reciprocates everything that is compensated by some human or being event. Beings don't just die, their bodies do, and the, the energy of that is released, but it goes back into the ecology. The earth is a self-contained ecology. It does not waste anything. And so every being that dies contributes to the evolution of this earth. And this is why I'm saying it. It's not that we're waiting. In every moment, a calculated creation happens from the calculated death that happens. And we have done enough killing to create a new age. Mm -hmm. so, so you said it's not about waiting, it's about preparing. Right. So maybe we already went over this, but I'll ask it again. Um, how do we prepare? The, the acceptance is that there the, are the, some basic acceptances. One is that the, the, the reality behind the world that changed the laws, the, 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 the mechanisms that give the world its, its integrity is invisible. So do not depend on visible signs. One must be able to inwardly, even in the first moments of waking, try to recall what those impressions of waking from sleep might be. We bring back memory when we awake, but we have to keep waking up. The, the, the mental model of wakefulness is not enough. We have to try to remember more. We have to try to contemplate more. We have to re re like put ourselves back into the creation story at its deepest level. If this is just, uh, say, to build the imaginative knowledge level. When the imaginative knowledge gets exercised, deep inspiration comes, and then it removes the, 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 the doubt forces, the denial forces, all of those mechanisms that is dulling our perception. And then we begin to see the signs through a kind of intuition. Mm -hmm. 
we begin to see, see the communications and experience the communications on these other levels of consciousness that, that no longer are included because people say, well, you have no evidence. Intuition is the evidence of itself. It's the evidence of the human being, the being of the human being. And so we can't say intuition is wrong. It's not an opinion. Mm -hmm. If you hold it long enough, it develops a capacity and the conversation, meaning that someone else who had that cognition will show up because the magnetism will attract them. And so we have to believe in truths that we have no evidence to prove. Why? Because it's already in the blood, it's not yet in consciousness. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing, it, it's when say, you know, why the blood? Because it has to create organs of perception and cognition first. The, the light forces that go into our blood, it doesn't go into our mind. Mm -hmm. Free forces go into our blood. There's still something for the mind to do right now, though. Contemplate. Uh -huh. Contemplate what is flowing through me. Uh-huh. What is flowing through us. That's interesting. And, that's, that's very similar to the uh, hermetic view of the function of the mind as being reflective and symbolized by, by uh, silver, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, 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 what, what it builds is, is are the virtues. The virtues will be aspects of soul, mind, consciousness together that then gives a verification by building an inner morality, not, not something that is of just about, you know, cultural right and wrong. Mm -hmm. This is about an inner discipline to develop the faculties necessary for the appropriate age in which we are living. So morality is not about right or wrong. It's about the responsibility to be oneself under the conditions in which we are living and exercise the right judgment to receive instruction from the higher self. If I don't receive something from my higher self, I will constantly live into habits. And it's the higher self that breaks my habits. It's the higher self that supports me to heal. It's the higher self in me that allows equity in our societal process. And if I withhold that from the world, I withhold it from myself as well. Well, wow, that's um, a lot of information. And I think we'll record again in two days. Okay, Charles, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, where do you get all this information, like about the blood and stuff? I hadn't, you know, never thought of it that way. Is that anthroposophical teaching or is, is, is there some... Well, over years of study of, of what, what, what the blood has been, I mean, there's some amazing discoveries of what, what is lived at a transcendent level in the blood, we, meaning that it's, no, it's not an organelle particle life that we know it to be, but what light does in it and what, what the organelles in the blood actually do on a quantum level. Mm -hmm. So my integration of medicine, cosmology, quantum studies, 
yeah. so that the, the only or the only thing that we can really receive it with that remains constant and flowing is is our is our blood and our ancestries in that too so i had an interest in it for a long time but there yes anthroposophy has a lot of insight to what it is as well as um you know, uh, well, all the traditions, even, well, not even, but, but Buddhism as well. Like what happens when we contemplate and meditate, we actually create a very healthy organ, blood organ, that then allows the, the tissues to be developed differently. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever I, whenever I talk to you, I get, the uh, impression that I'm receiving a lot of information from you that's not that's not really in the semantic content of what you're talking about, but it's carried in other ways. And I just yeah, I want to acknowledge that and appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, John. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's very nourishing for me. Me too. <laughs> uh, to, uh, me too. To share some of it is really as well, you know, bringing things in that I may have known but never used in the same way. Mm -hmm. So this is a meaningful conversation for me as well. Good. Well, thank you. This has been a new and ancient story with your host, Charles Eisenstein. I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you again next time.